Hey everyone, welcome back to the Rent Free Podcast. You're here with your hosts. I am Robin Trout. And I'm Kira Ryan. <laughs> and today we are joined by cognitive behavioral therapist Connell Harper, who is an expert in anxiety and mood disorders, doing his doctorate at the moment in DCU, looking at OCD and anxiety disorders. He's also the owner of CBT Solutions in Castle Knock. And today we just had a really good chat. Yeah. We got through all of your burning questions. Well, to be honest, as many as we could, there will definitely be a second episode. But just before we start the episode, we have a website here for Connell. It's cbtsolutions.ie. And also you can find him on Instagram at cognitive underscore Connell. And yeah, blue tick, so get on it. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so Connell, how are you? I'm very excited to be here. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm slowly becoming accustomed to the whole podcasting so uh the nerves are slightly less every time we do it yeah that's good that's it's so good that like people who are talking about mental health are like getting with it and like doing podcasts and talking on social media and stuff i feel like lockdown was a big thing for like mental health and people actually coming out and talking about it wasn't it it was and i think that the reason it first time ever covid gave everybody a shared reason to have problems so yeah before covid if you had a mental health problem it's because it was you do you know what i mean yeah. it was your problem whereas covid was this kind of understanding like oh you've got anxiety oh it's covid or you've got depression oh it's <laughs> oh, covid yeah. or, oh, see, oh it's covid <laughs> and so like covid was kind of the cause of everybody's problems yeah yeah and so because it was kind of this kind of shared suffering we could all be a little bit more vocal around how much we were struggling yeah and so it kind of open the door I think to a lot more acceptance mm, mm. and conversation around mental health as well so I yeah. think a lot more people are way more accepting of like chatting about mental health now as well I think before mm. it was really like a taboo topic like Definitely. even for us as well though like yeah and we did we did a mental health episode I think it was like episode four yeah <laughs> we were literally like hey we need to tell you guys the yeah. truth <laughs> and like that blew up like loads yeah. of people were like thank you so much for sharing this like and being vulnerable this is something that I felt personally but I've never wanted to tell my friends or like talk about it because yeah. no one seems to and like even during lockdown as you said I followed so many mental health Instagram pages yeah because I was like I need like something to relate to mm. yeah I think lockdown as well like people actually had to sit with themselves mm. so everyone it was like the year realizing things you know okay it's just a year realizing things <laughs> but it literally was like people were actually sitting down and kind of going oh okay maybe maybe I do have anxiety maybe I do have something going on yeah and but it was good like mm. and I, I think the benefit of people like yourselves doing these podcasts and kind of having a shared discussion on mental health is that a lot of people with mental health problems feel so stuck and bogged down in the life that they're living to, to hear somebody else say actually do you know when I have to leave my house I get really tight chest and I get really breathless and I kind of get this nausea in my tummy and I feel like I'm going to get sick for somebody who has anxiety but can't actually kind of name those physiological sensations mm-hmm. and they can't explain that process, for someone to say that, they kind of go, oh my God, that's me. Yeah. And it's an immediate link to that. Yeah. And it's such an empowering process for people to kind of go through. Definitely. And, and that, but you can only have that by talking about it. And then the more people that talk, the more people that listen. Um, and and it, one of the things at the moment is that a lot of people that say attend me in the private practice the difficulty they have is finding therapists that are skilled enough to explain problems that they have. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's great. The more people that are talking about it, the more people are willing to share. Definitely. Mm. And okay, so give us a backstory on you. So like, where did you start? Did you know straight from school that you wanted to go into like 
um, therapy or psychologically, psychologically, psychology. <laughs> close, close. Um, <laughs> I was like, girl, we're going to need to open that brain real good. <laughs> we're, only, we're only getting warmed up. To yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, I'm going to trip over things as well. Um, so I, I suppose when I was in school, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I think like a lot of people, especially at this time of the year, like I, I have a lot of parents contacting me at the moment saying, like, okay. will you see my son or daughter because they've got the results and they're like, oh, not what they expected. Not yeah. What hoped for. Oh shit. Uh, I suppose for me um, school was always kind of reasonably okay. I didn't didn't love it, didn't hate it but I, I kind of enjoyed the process more of the social side of things. Yeah. Um, I went to college, did my degree that was in kind of psychiatric nursing. Um, mm-hmm. Two weeks later I'm back did a postgraduate certificate in CBT then did a postgraduate diploma in CBT. And um, for, sorry, just a quick note before you go any further, explain what CBT is. Yeah, so uh, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy and mm-hmm. it's a form of psychotherapy. So psychotherapy is an umbrella term and you can have like humanistic, integrative, psychoanalysis, psychodynamic, and then CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy okay. is one of those forms. And it works by challenging the way we think that the basic premise is that the way we think influences the way we feel and the way we feel influences our behavior. Okay, And so... I studied my my two postgrads in that. I then went on to I was kind of that that was all through Trinity, and then I worked in the Department of Medicine in Trinity for about a year and a half, uh, developing a research tool to teach mental health professionals how to do CBT properly, and carried that into my masters, um, and kind of presented that at a few kind of international conferences. And now I'm uh, doing my doctorate in psychotherapy. And I'm kind of specializing in anxiety disorders and obsessive compulsive disorder at the moment. Amazing. That is absolutely incredible. And yeah. like so extensive as well. Because I remember when I was trialing out therapists for the first time, I went to a few. Mm-hmm. And I f- is there like something in Ireland that anyone can kind of be a therapist? Or is there a certain like umbrella thing that not every therapist is necessarily hugely qualified? Because I spoke to a few people and I found that the therapist I went to, I was like, I'm just not meshing with them. I didn't feel yeah. like I could mm. talk to them and I didn't feel like they were understanding me. Like I went to one when I was really young and um, I won't say where I went to one. <laughs> and I remember I like went into the room and I sat down and he made me like, he was like, point out how you feel. And it all felt very childish to me. And I was like, i even though I was young at the time, I was like, I feel like my feelings are so much more than like, just point to what, a picture. Yeah. Like yeah. what he was trying to make me do. So like, how do you go by about finding the right therapist for you? Yeah, so that's actually something that I actually have a very detailed post on that on my Instagram. Um, What's page. your Instagram account? Sorry, we'll start Sh- there. Shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> blue tick yeah. also. Yeah, we have a blue tick, tick in here. Um, so it's cognitive underscore Connell. Yeah. Um, and on on the kind of three posts that I've pinned, one of them is like how to look for how to look for a, a competent therapist. And to, to answer your first question, is that you're right? Absolutely, anybody can be a psychotherapist in Ireland. Um, you just need to put a plaque on the door. You don't even need that. That is a yeah. joke. So though. I could just rent a room and just yeah. call myself a psychotherapist. Yeah. Oh well, me and Kira basically do that every week when we walk. <laughs> with the advice that we give it's actually so exciting to have someone who's yeah, an actual yeah, therapist yeah, giving yeah. real advice sorry but go on what were you saying um, so like I mean you, you could stop seeing me in the podcast right now and then like a patient could come in if you wanted like if that's how easy it is for you to kind of set up a practice it's, it's, that's crazy yeah you don't need any qualifications the difficulty is that in in Ireland, there is no, it's not a protected term. So a lot of therapists at the moment in Ireland have done, say, like a Bachelor of Arts in psychotherapy. And they do like a little bit of what's called CPD, continual professional development. So they might attend certain courses throughout the year. But the difficulty is that like 
the, the and, and it's not necessarily that the more training you do, the better therapist you become because there's kind of clinical experience that's required. And what you also want is you want a kind of environment where you're able to kind of merge the theory that you're learning to the clinical practice that you're doing. And the idea is that the more you learn, the more difficult your clients should technically become so that you're always learning yeah. and upskilling. Whereas for a lot of people in, in psychotherapy, that's not the case because they're not working in clinical environments where they're meeting uh, very complex cases. Okay. So I, I would have worked in um, kind of locked psychiatric unit. Um, I also would have worked in the psychology department in a, in a very busy city centre hospital mm-hmm. where it was handling very complex cases yeah. with, very, with multiple presentations that yeah. had kind of gone on for years. Um, and then obviously I work on part of a specialist uh, psychiatric team at the moment in the maternity services. So you're seeing complex ca- cases at very severe levels. Yeah. So you you have to become a lot more skilled to work with them because there's a higher level of risk. The kind of the patterns of behavior and thinking are far more ingrained. So you need to learn more in order to put that into practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of psychotherapists, um, you know, some are very good, but there's obviously like every profession, there's some that are not so good. And mm-hmm. the difficulty is that a lot of psychotherapists can offer therapy at a certain price point that people don't necessarily feel that they're kind of maybe missing the money. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm paying kind of 60, 70 euro a week, you know, and that's, you know, a lot for some people, it's not so much for others. Mm-hmm. And if you can manage to kind of give up 60, 70 euro in inverted commas a week and you come into that session feeling good, you kind of go, hmm, money well spent. Yeah. But the problem is there's therapy is not there to make you feel good. Therapy is there to help you work through very difficult emotions and work through very difficult situations that you face in your life. So coming out of therapy, feeling good is not the goal. Going into therapy with the attitude of, I've got a specific problem. I need to try and overcome this problem. I need to understand it. I need to learn skills to develop, to put that into place. That's the goal of therapy. And so Fritz Perls, who's kind of the father of Gestalt psychology, would say that Mm. therapy is supposed to be a safe emergency. It's a place that you kind of feel like, oh, this isn't great. But also (laughs) I'm supported by someone who understands me, who will protect me and who will guide me through this so that I'll kind of develop as I go through. And that's not really practiced in, in a lot of psychotherapy places in Ireland. And I'm not just saying that, like, I do a lot of therapist training Um, I, I do a bit of training as well in the HSE and the HSE is a very different model because you're working with very time specific um, patients because the demand is so huge. Whereas in private practice, you know, people can stay as short as long as they want. But the problem is, is that if I don't know what makes a good therapist and I come out feeling good, that's great. But then I'm kind of eight, nine months in. But my problems are all still the same. Yeah. And I'm not getting that good feeling from it. And now I'm going to go on. Oh. You're not getting the tools to actually help you for everyday life. You're just yes. yeah. getting that instant satisfaction. Absolutely. Once you walk out the door. Yeah. And and, and ju- just to kind of build on, on what you're saying there, like one of the problems with therapies at the moment is that C- CBT is kind of the flavor of the month. Like everybody wants yeah. CBT, whether they know what that means or not. Like, I mean, yeah, some people yeah. can barely spell it. It's such a buzzword, mean? isn't it? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the one I do personally. And I'm yeah. like, I'm in CBT. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and like a lot of people are doing like, like a lot of psychotherapists, they didn't train in CBT, but they've done one or three or five day workshops in CBT. And then they're kind of saying, well, I'm CBT trained. But the difficulty is that if you have a complex client who comes to you, like you don't know when to use or not to use that specific approach. So the problem is it's it's really about looking at the qualifications that people have, the clinical experience people have. Have they worked in any kind of research capacity? Are they involved with lecturing? Because they're going to be involved with kind of like, I suppose, keeping up to date with what the literature says around like how to treat various things. Because, you know, psychotherapy, it changes. Do you know what I mean? And what's, yeah. what's great 10 years ago might not be great today. Mm. So it's really important to know what's happening. And so therapists have a duty to themselves and to their clients to constantly be reading and constantly be developing and educating yeah. themselves. 
otherwise you're kind of you're letting your clients down really I, I think personally I completely um, agree with that because I well personally I'm such an advocate for therapy and me and you yeah, talk same. about it constantly on the podcast about like even when we give advice we're like you know take it with a pinch of salt and if we're something not therapists is also. yeah if something is really serious like do go talk to someone professionally about it and like I've had so many girls message me being like I went to therapy like it didn't help I hated it I didn't get along with the person like and it was already it's so nerve-wracking I remember my first time going mm, to therapy yeah. I was shaking shit yeah yeah <laughs> not, not what I was gonna say but yeah really really scared yeah and I think if I went in and had a really bad experience I'd be really reluctant to do it again because yeah. you're so vulnerable in that moment that you kind of you want to just be like okay like I want to feel safe and feel like I'm able to talk to this person but so many people don't have that first encounter and when I had my first encounter with therapists I was like okay no I'm not getting along with this person and it was so scary to go to someone else because I was like I already tried this I feel like I feel like giving up now Mm. but then I'm so happy I did because now I'm with a therapist and I'm able to get on with them so well and like we'll work on things together and yeah I really recommend it for everyone listening Mm. now well not for yeah, maybe for everyone. It depends if you if you feel like you need it to and give it another try. I feel like the thing about therapy is and what I'm realizing is even if you're in a good place in your life, I just feel like still go to therapy because you going to therapy in a good place in your life. I don't know. You can tell me. But like when you get to the bad place, then you'll have some tools and you'll have talked to someone even about something small that you didn't know was going to be a big issue or that you didn't know in yourself that is a big issue. And then you only find out when you go to chat to someone. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that one of the key things about therapy is that there are people that go to therapy because they have a specific need to go to therapy. And then there's people that go to therapy because they feel they would benefit from it, but yes, don't necessarily okay. need it. Yeah, And so like I in my private practice would see people who come to me originally because, you know, they're having really severe anxiety and it's stopping them doing what they want to do. So they can't leave the house. They're having multiple panic attacks. They've got really severe health anxiety and they're going to spend a fortune going to the GP, getting scans and checkups every week, you know, and it's really impacting the quality of life, in which case they need clinical interventions to reduce the distress associated with the anxiety. Then there's people who kind of either come out the other side of that or who are just, in, as you said, a really good place in their life. Yeah. But feel like, you know, actually, there's a couple of things in my relationship that keeps creeping up and I've noticed it historically and I'm just trying to work through that. Or And it's kind of more of a, a personal development and growth piece. Yes. Um, and, and I think then there's also a piece where people who are trying to kind of like feeling just a little bit lost in life. It's like, what am I doing with my job or my course or where am I going? Or, you know, do I want to get married? Do I want to move abroad? Sometimes having a therapist that kind of can understand you help, sorry, excuse me, uh, can help you understand that. I told you I'd trip over yeah, it too. No, we have such go. bad foot and mouth syndrome here. So it's so fine. Yeah, like yeah. I'll probably not be making sense at some points here. So it's grand. So the, the idea being is that when people are kind of coming up to these existential points in their life is that sometimes having somebody with maybe a different view on it, who's a neutral party can help guide you through that. Because for a lot of people, like, they might be very close to their family, but their family might not have the skills to get them to do that. Do you know what I mean? Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. And so like, you know, it, and it's no different to like, because I mean, like psychology, the, like the cognitive piece, the emotional piece, it's a language. And if you, if you have parents that haven't learned that language, you're not going to know that language. So they're not going to be able to help you maybe sometimes bridge that gap. And that's where a therapist might step in the same way if your parents aren't great at maths, but you know, you want to do well in exams, like your parents will get your grinds. Do you know what I mean? And you go to a grinds teacher. So it's about more of a development piece. Okay. Yeah. So will we go into some of the listener questions? Yeah, definitely. Actually, this one is perfect one from one of the listeners. So for someone who's never been to therapy and is really afraid to go, tell us what the first session typically looks like. 
So what normally happens is people come in, the sessions are typically 50 minutes in length. That's kind of like what's considered a therapeutic error. Mm-hmm. And the, the client comes in and we have a little bit of a chat. So I'd introduce myself, my kind of background, qualifications, experience and different things. And I would kind of ask them what's happened in their life that's brought them to therapy at this point and where do they feel the most stuck? The idea being is that you kind of want to get a sense of like, what are the person's problems and whether or not you're going to be able to help them. And then I can kind of clearly lay out, okay, well, it sounds like, you know, X, Y, and Z are the major problems that you're facing. So if you and I were to kind of commit to 10, 15, 20 sessions, whatever it might be, what would you like to be different at the end of it? Okay. Yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. What way would your life be different if we did 10 sessions? So for a lot of people, they come to me and they say, oh, I'm really anxious. Okay. What do you want to get out of it? I don't want to be anxious anymore. And, And that's a little bit like kind of saying, I want to be happy. It's, it's, it's a kind of silly goal because mm-hmm. like there's going to be times where like you're at a funeral, like, being happy is not appropriate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like a long term, that's not a good <laughs> yeah. goal. Yeah. And, and like anxiety is a little bit like sadness or loneliness or any of those kind of emotions. It's you don't want to avoid them. You want to learn how to tolerate them because there's going to be times where, as you said, like lockdown, when we all are going to sit with ourselves. Yeah. If you feel lonely and you can't tolerate loneliness, like what do you do? because you won't be able to avoid it forever. There's going to be times where you're going to be alone and you can't always plug it with social things and different things going on. So that's what the purpose of therapy would be. And that's kind of what the way that I would work with people. So it's not like there's there's no end goals. I'd say like some of those um, psychotherapists that you were talking about at start, they would nearly maybe chat to people and say, oh, we're going to fix you. Like, or we're Mm -hmm. going to be able to fix this problem. But there's not really the way maybe you're describing is that you're not going to be able to fix people's problem, but you're going to give them the tools to be mm-hmm. able to cope with their problems every day and to make them realize that your problems are, you're able to cope with them. I hope they'd never say they're going to fix them because they're not broken. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think people inevitably face points in life where the distress has become too much and they need a bit of assistance to kind of get over that hurdle and keep moving forward. The idea of going to a therapist is that it's somebody who, when you fall, picks you up and teaches you how to walk again and run. And that when you're falling, you can kind of go to them and go, listen, I'm about to fall here. And you kind of go, okay, what do you need to do to not fall? How do you maintain balance now moving forward? And the idea is that like you might kind of do a block of sessions. So it might be, I don't know, it depends on kind of the presentation that people come with. Mm -hmm. But normally what you might do is kind of like 10 to 20 sessions kind of on a weekly basis. And then, you know, what what I tend to do in my clinical practice is I kind of tend to kick the sessions out a bit and say, well, like, do you need to come back here next week? Or would it be in your interest to maybe go in two weeks or maybe come back in three weeks? And like a lot of my clients now, I might see them every three months, every four months. Do you know what I mean? And they're very happy with that because it's a chance to kind of go, Jesus, you know, I'm actually doing really well, but there's one or two things that came up there and it's more of a preventative measure moving forward with the ultimate goal is to turn the client into their own therapist. Yeah. Hmm. And the more you do that, then when those clients have their own children, they're able to pass down those skills to them and you have what's Mm -hmm. called a legacy impact. So their children grow up much more emotionally stable, psychologically stable, and you sever that kind of generational link that mental health presents through. Yeah, generational links are everywhere. Like they're big, aren't they? Like, <laughs> yeah. like kind of just unlearning the the bad traits from your mom and dad that you don't want to bring down to your children. That that unlearning is an excellent way of describing yeah. it because that's what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it, as I said, to you, it's a little bit like a, a literacy piece. It's a language. So if you grow up, like if your if your parents are both kind of like let's say 
emotionally not great in inverted commas, right? <laughs> um, you know, there may be two red flags to an extent, right? Yeah, They're yeah. together. Like you're going to speak red flag. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you, it's kind of monkey see, monkey do and you're going to learn from them. And like, you might be really stable in a lot of elements in your life and you have huge potential, but mm-hmm. it's going to come up in certain areas of your life where it's going to be a problem. It's really hard to unlearn red flag then. Yeah. Because if I grow up and I see my mum and dad argue a lot and they shout at each other, I assume that's just how people communicate. Yeah. And I also assume that people shout at each other all the time and they get over it. Yeah. But let's say that, you know, I start going out with somebody and I start shouting at them and they go, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, I'm, I'm leaving you. I can't. And I go, well, that's not how the world works. Like, that's because I, I don't understand that. And my expectations and I kind of get this kind of earth shattering reality check where I go, oh, you behave badly. There are consequences. Like your partner's yeah. not going to stick with you if you're verbally abusive to them. Mm-hmm. And I kind of go, oh, I need to learn that. But I that's really hard to do for a lot of people. And the idea of therapy is that it helps you do that. Yeah, yeah. Like I had a similar experience. I remember there was a, a time in my relationship where I was acting in a certain way and I I, I kind of got a bit of a shock then when he was like, that's, you know, not the way things should be done. And I was like, in my head, I said it to a friend and I was like, like, what, what is he on about? And she was like, I think you've just seen your mom do that a lot. And I was like, oh, is that, I just thought that, that was just normal, but it yeah. wasn't. So I went to therapy and I unlearned that then. Well, I'm in the process of unlearning it, but like it, it is a good way to think about it. Like I was kind of like, okay, well, that's a trait for my mom that I don't like. I don't want to do that to my kids. Yeah. I don't want to have that in my boyfriend. So unlearn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good for you. Yeah. And and I, I commend you for that. And I think that for a lot of people, they, they have that realization that actually this is a problem for me, but for a lot of other people, the problem needs to cause a significant amount of distress to motivate them. Yes. So a lot of clients come to me, they come to me, like if you imagine a kind of severity scale where you've got like one to 10 on anxiety, right? And 10 is like, it's pretty, like it's, you're nearly going to hospital kind of territory. And one is like, people are grand. Like I, I meet a lot of people who are kind of seven and eight and they go, Jesus, I just can't cope with this anymore. Mm-hmm. And the question is like, you knew it was becoming distressing. So why not? Why didn't you come to me six months ago when this was really bad? Yeah. You yeah. know, when it was beginning to get bad, but you need to be at a certain stage. And this is what's called the region beta paradox is that you need to be at a certain stage where the problem is causing you enough distress to motivate you to change it. Mm, yeah. So for example, if you take the same route to work every day and there's never been a problem with it, like why would you change? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But then one day you're delayed in traffic and you're kind of like, that's a bit of a pain. Then you're delayed in traffic again and again. And after a while you're kind of like, you know what? This is actually annoying me so much. I'm going to change route. Yeah. And that's what it is going to therapy is that like the problem has to be impacting you normally before people will do something about it, which yeah. is very difficult. Mm. It's it's bad though that it, like sometimes it has to get to that. Like I always think about how I'll like raise my kids, hopefully someday. And I'm like, I swear to God, I think that the day they hit puberty, I'm going to like, okay, you're getting your therapist. This is your what's what's that not your what's post pubescent present I guess <laughs> like, I'm like you're gonna go talk to someone and yeah. like because like it's not always easy to talk to your parents or talk to like your friends mm-hmm. especially about things that are more complex as well mm-hmm. so it's it's so important I think to be able to like go to someone and I always said that that I'm like I because inevitably we're all gonna fuck up our kids so I'm like <laughs> No, I like, well, I'll do things like that. I probably won't realize I'll obviously do the best I can to avoid it, but I'll probably do things to them that they're like, okay, I don't like this about you. And they won't feel comfortable saying it to me. So I'm like, you'll have a safe space Mm. to talk to someone. That's not me. That's not your dad. Yeah. And it's going to just be someone that you can just say whatever you need to say, whether it's about me, your siblings, struggles at school, because like, it's not, I was actually only listening to a podcast of um, two gay guys. Mm hmm. 
and one of them was being bullied in school. And he was like, I couldn't tell anyone because they were calling me gay. And I couldn't go to my mom and be like, they're calling me gay because in turn I'd be essentially telling her that I'm gay kind of because okay. it was true. Mm. I was like, Jesus, that's so I, I wouldn't want that for my kids because I was yeah. like, what, what if like my kids are like one day? Yeah. But oh, I feel like years down the line. But if you're if you're going to therapy and you're learning specific skills, you're going to be able to teach your children those skills. And by you teaching those children your skills, they're going to see you as a very safe emotional base from which they can say anything to you right mm. and so the idea now obviously within reason do you know what I mean there's certain <laughs> things you don't want to know your kids are doing but the, the idea behind being an emotional stable base for somebody is that if a child feels that they're going to be loved unconditionally and that you know no matter what I do mom or dad will have my back and you know I could kill someone and they'd kind of like they'd probably still report me, but they'd love me. Do you know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? Yeah, they'd yeah, still yeah, love yeah. me for it. They wouldn't yeah. reject me. And there's no fear of rejection or abandonment or loss. Mm-hmm. I would feel extremely safe in telling them whatever would come up for me. Yeah. And the goal is is not necessarily to either send them to therapy or not. Like, and it's and it's great that you would think that if they had a problem that you could do that. But it's also about like how do you create that stable emotional base for children? And for a lot of children and for teenagers as well, like they tend to really feel guilt and shame from parents because parents are kind of the giants that police are earth. Like we depend on them for everything. Mm. We need them for everything. And they're infinitely bigger and more powerful than we are. And they're kind of that living God character in our lives. And I was just about to say, they're like your God. Yeah. Mm. But if they turn their back on you or if they make you feel unloved or unworthy yeah. or abandoned or neglected or abused or hurt, that really causes a deep emotional wound for people which can be activated later on in life. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't happen if you're providing a stable emotional base. You're going to make mistakes. There's no way to be a perfect parent. There's lots of ways to be a good one though. Mm. And I think that that's a really important kind of thing that I would remind people of. Okay, Uh, so never mind. Actually, my kids are going to be perfect. (laughs) 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 I don't need that actually. Um, Okay. We're going to go into a little bit more of a juicy one next. I think this is what the girlies are waiting for. Okay. (laughs) Why do people cheat on their partners? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I think men and women cheat for different reasons. I I think men cheat traditionally because um, they tend to feel neglected or they tend to feel like they're being ignored in the relationship and that they're not validated or important enough. And sometimes it's a case of intoxication with sexual desire is just amped up and they're not able to kind of restrain themselves. Um, I, I don't think alcohol is ever an excuse for it anyway. I think that like no. you do a bad behavior, you do a bad behavior and there's consequences for it. Um, but there are contributing factors that might make that bad behavior more likely to happen. Uh, women tend to cheat more because they feel emotionally disconnected from their partner. They're not able to connect on that level. So for a man who say he's, you know, he's, he's not getting any from his partner for a prolonged period of time and he feels like she doesn't care about him he might feel a little bit rejected a little bit abandoned and then he might be more inclined to go out and cheat where a woman who's not kind of getting any from her partner sexually she doesn't that's not going to mean as much to her generally speaking um massive sweeping statements um (laughs) but if he's not communicating her communicating with her on an emotional level and making her feel heard and making her feel safe and making her feel, you know, connected to him, she's probably going to look for it somewhere else. So there's two kind of different reasons, but there's a few unifying reasons. One of them is low self-esteem. So if I have a very poor self-view of myself and I kind of need to, 
kind of feel good about myself. Like that low view is going to make me feel a little bit anxious, a little bit stressed. And when I get anxious and stressed, I'm going to become a little bit more impulsive. Then let's say I'm in a nightclub situation and I meet one of you guys and you're giving me loads of attention. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. You're making me feel really important. And like, I'm on cloud nine. I go, oh my God, this is amazing. Like I might be a lot more likely to not want to lose that. And I might want to get a phone number or a kiss or whatever people want to get. And it's kind of like, oh, I've gotten that. She's validated me. Like I'm I'm important enough or I, mm-hmm. I'm good enough to be accepted by somebody. Yeah. Go ahead. Why do they never like realize in the moment though that like, like I, I don't understand because like I, I personally ha- technically haven't and wouldn't cheat. And I'm just like, I don't understand what happens that you can go this, this action that I'm going to do right now is worth the payoff of potentially losing the partner that I'm with. Like, I don't understand. Why would you assume they're going to lose their partner? Why would you assume they'll tell them or they'll find out? But if they did, like, is it the, is it the kind of... if they're going to cheat, they're probably not going to tell their partners. Mm. Yeah, but you could get caught, especially in Ireland and especially in Dublin. Like if you're doing stuff like that, you're going to, because we, so we constantly get messages from our listeners and it's like these stories that we hear and it's from like all around Ireland Mm. of basically guys getting caught kind of getting caught out but they're like what do we do yes I saw you had that up in your story the other day <laughs> yeah um, and we're like before their wedding um, yeah oh yeah. what gosh. do you do in that situation like if you know that your friend has been cheated on by their partner yeah okay we'll use that one because we only got it the other day um I, I thought your suggestion was quite good of getting everybody into a room and kind of saying <laughs> what would you do in this situation because it's a little bit of a kind of collective consensus and then if the person who has been cheated on goes, Jesus, I wouldn't want to know. You kind of go, okay, that's fair enough. Like that's Mm -hmm. what you're telling me. The difficulty of getting involved is that, okay, so let's say I'm in a relationship with you, right? And I go out and I cheat and Robin sees that I've cheated. Mm. Okay. And let's pretend that you're madly in love with me and we're about to get married and we're on the cusp of this brand new adventure together. And she kind of approaches me and says, listen, I'm going to tell Kira if you don't. And I say, I'm just going to tell her that you're jealous that she's getting married and you're not. And that you're lonely and that you're jealous of what she has and what we have. And you're trying to destroy that because you don't want your friend to be happy. Like there's ways that I could completely sabotage your connection to her because ultimately if we're going to have a life together, it's the two of us. You're, you're now a side character. Do you know what I mean? To a certain extent. And so you have to be really careful because I don't know what the level of commitment to people are in relationships and different things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's a case that the people have only been together kind of like six months to a year and you kind of see them cheating, you go, listen, it's early days. I'm just letting you know, massive red flag over there. Yeah. And Kieran, that situation would be like, yeah, fair enough. But you have to remember that like information will be welcomed or rejected based on how people feel at specific times and where they're at in their relationship. Mm -hmm. And if I show tremendous potential for a long-term partner and Kira doesn't want to lose that in, in this example, well, she might kind of go, well, do you have any proof? Yeah. Oh, no, I have no proof. Well, he told me that you're trying to sabotage the relationship. Yeah. And now I've completely ruined your friendship together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And Kira's going to be isolated from her friends, which makes her more dependent on me. And the more dependent she is on me, the less likely she's going to be to believe it. Or she can't really believe it because yeah, she she's cut herself you. off. Yeah. So I think that you have to be very careful about the longer term implications of telling people. Because ultimately you've done nothing wrong by just knowing the information. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'd probably be more inclined to tell my friends that, look, I, I think that, you know, maybe you should speak to her around kind of fidelity and like loyalty and stuff like that. 
I don't want to get into it, but I think you should broach that topic with her. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to mention that X happened specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah, just they, like suggest it yeah. kind of. And if they say, well, what are you talking about? Like, do you have something to kind of go on that? And I say, well, to be honest, I do, but I don't know how open you are to hearing it. Yeah. And if they okay, say, I'm yeah. actually really open to hearing it. Well, are you? Because I don't want to tell you this. There's going to be huge ramifications for our relationship. Yeah. No, I'd really rather you told me. Okay. I saw Robin cheating on Kira. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, right, now we're kind of getting somewhere because they've asked me for the for the information. I haven't offered it when it's been completely unwanted, mm-hmm. especially not a few days before my wedding. Um, yeah. yeah. You know. And would you say that like sometimes cheating is a form of self-sabotage? Yeah. So you, you often find that um, people with kind of avoidant attachment styles, they often kind of... Um, when they're kind of early stage relationships, they have a tremendous fear of being abandoned or rejected or hurt, right? So what they might do is they'll be far more likely to see the ick in people. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> if, if you see the ick in people, then you don't have to commit to a relationship so you won't risk being hurt. We, what you'll often find is that when people are in relationships and they feel like, oh God, I'm, I'm becoming a little bit too dependent. So, you know, if, if we're in a relationship and it's going really well mm-hmm. and I'm kind of feeling safer and safer with you, well then paradoxically, I feel like I'm more kind of like vulnerable as a result because I'm getting too close to you and I might be on a night out and it might just kind of happen. Do yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And then, oh sure, the relationship can't work out now. So is yes. that why people get the ick? Yeah, so... I think people like, get the ick because they're unavailable in themselves and they know, that's what I think. I think people will be, I'm unavailable so I'm going to put something on them which makes me feel better about the fact that I can't go any further with them now. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I think that the unavailability piece stems from more of an avoidant attachment style. Mm -hmm. And so what you find in an avoidant attachment style is that people may kind of, they have a fear of becoming too dependent on a partner because if they are, then the partner will reject or abandon them. So it's really hard for them to kind of make that commitment. Mm -hmm. So they might do things to sabotage the relationship, but also in relation to the ick. So if we go on a date and it's going really well and I kind of go, oh my God, like this is date number four. I really like you and this is going super well. I might kind of go, oh, she's kind of chewing a bit loud, actually. <laughs> What's the story with that breathing? Do you know what I mean? I kind of go, That's really annoying. I wish she'd stop. Like, I, I know she blinks too quickly when she's talking to me or whatever. I'm super mm-hmm. conscious of my blinking now. Um, I know. I literally, <laughs> as soon as you said that, I was like, what? <laughs> and so the, the idea is that like, we are kind of subconsciously picking on things to kind of go, nah, actually, do you know what? That's not going to work. Yeah. Rather than kind of saying, well, actually, is it the fact that they chew too loud or is it the fact that maybe I'm getting a little bit too close to this person? But then there are genuine icks as well. Like, I mean, some people hate spitting. Yeah, yeah, Some people yeah. hate littering. Like, so if I'm, you know, on, on a date with someone and there's littering and spitting all over the place, I go, that's disgusting. Yeah. But that's not really an ick because of an avoidant that's, attachment piece. That's I just more of that's a rude. non-negotiable kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's just rude. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's just yeah. disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> like rude to waiting staff or like those kind of things I find very off-putting. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, And can you recover from the ick? You can. I personally think I have. I think I've gotten the ick a few times and I think I've gotten over it. Hmm. Like I've just kind of been like, okay, actually I don't, I think there's something more to this. I always think, I think the, the ick is a self issue. I never think it's a, it's an issue with someone else. If I always say like, if you are getting the ick with someone, it's because you're emotionally unavailable. Not that there's actually that problem with them because if my boyfriend did any of those things, I'm like, Ah, Jesus, so cute, isn't it? Because I love him so much and I'm so emotionally available to him. Whereas like if it was a guy that I was like, oh, I just, um, you're not, I I don't want to get too close to this person. So I'm going to pick out something Mm. on them and make Mm. it, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And and, like both can be true for different people. Do you know what I mean? And so like, 
I'm, I'm sure you'd eventually find some behaviors you're kind of like, mm, wish you wouldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of mean? course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, but, like, <laughs> but, but the ick is more because it comes from a sense of I'm rejecting this person based on this behavior to protect myself from becoming too close and yeah. then risk them rejecting or abandoning me. Yes. Mm. Like I remember one girl saying that she had the ick. Um, a guy that she was seeing was playing crack the egg on the trampoline and I was like are you oh god I'm exposed <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was like oh my god babe I think you just don't you just, you just don't like him yeah, you're just like, not you just into really him. Don't like him and you're looking for anything because that game is so much fun yeah <laughs> um, okay this is a question I get asked anytime yeah I do a live anytime we put up a question box okay what are the best ways to get over a breakup? And also, this is another one that I've just put in there. What's the best way to break up with someone as well? Ooh, okay. Um, which one do you want me to answer first? Uh, get over because that's the number one. Okay, how do you get over a breakup? Do you, sorry, do you have steps for this now or is this just like a general thing? Because that's what people, I feel like when people ask me, they look for steps yeah. almost. They're like, and I'm like, chick, I don't know. Like most of it, I was crying watching like sad movies. And then I kind of one day was like, okay, shit, I seem to be over this now. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think that there's a couple of things that people can do. I think the first is to realize that when any relationship ends, people go through a kind of grieving process. And when they go through a grieving process, like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is kind of like five, I think it's actually seven stages of grief, right? Where people kind of go through like denial, anger, bargaining, all those kind of things until they get to acceptance. Okay. Yeah. And for a lot of people, when a relationship ends, there's a component of missing the person, but then there's also the component of missing the time that you would have spent with the person, the time you would have spent thinking about the person and the time you would have spent, say, texting them and planning and all that kind of stuff yeah. around them, right? And oftentimes what's really important for people to do is to reconnect with their friends, first of all, to try and find that sense of social self. So if you, if you kind of like imagine a line where you've got kind of like person on one end and partner at the other, oftentimes when people are in a relationship, they're kind of very deep into the partner end of it, right? Yeah. And so the struggle is trying to come back out to find who you are now without this person because like there's no more date nights or there's no more like holidays or there's no more of these things. And that's really sad. And so it's important to kind of spend a bit of time with friends and try and focus on your values, your goals. And actually, if you were to be single for a couple of years, like what would you do? Like what would be different at the end of it? Like how would you like to be different moving into your next relationship or how would you like to be different as a single person to develop so that when you do meet somebody else the next time that you're maybe not as dependent on them that it's mm. affecting you to that extent. Also, what I'd kind of recommend for people to do is to take time to kind of ask themselves a few questions every day and like to write these down in their journal. Um, is like one is like, how do I feel? How do I know I feel it? Where do I feel it? And what kind of things would be helpful for me to overcome these feelings? Okay. And to try and realize that like a lot of these feelings, so like loneliness, sadness, a little bit of hopeless, abandoned, all these things, they're going to create intense physical feelings. Normally, what a lot of people experience is that kind of like sinking feeling in their tummy, a tight chest mm. or like that lump in their throat or just that kind of hollow emptiness that's there. And it's about like learn to maybe sit with that feeling for increments of time and to take deep breaths and practice relaxation exercises. So like if I break up with somebody and then the next day I'm really upset, it's going to take a few days just to kind of reach an equilibrium yeah. and then kind of go, right, okay, deep breath in, deep breath out. Okay, where? how do I know I feel it? Well, I feel it in my body. Where do I feel it? It's in my tummy. Okay, well, I need to take a breath in and just allow the feeling to be there just for five seconds and just... And then the next day, I'm going to feel it for 10 seconds. I might feel it for 15 seconds and just build it up slowly so you begin to get mastery over it. And yeah. um, that's what I would recommend as one of the best ways to do it. And then focus on yourself. I mean, like 
you're not just a relationship, like you're still a person. So like, what kind of person do you want to be and how are you going to pursue that? Like, what about your kind of career and your other parts of your life as well? Like, don't neglect them. Like there's yeah. other things that are going yeah. well and focus on developing your family relationships a little bit more too. We always say that as well after a breakup, we're like the best thing to do is like, not like jump straight back onto the apps and try to put yourself back out there and into mm-hmm. another relationship straight away. We're like, be single, like yeah, figure out who you are again. It, like when you spend so much time with someone and then suddenly you have all this free time and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? I don't yeah. have this person anymore. Mm-hmm. And like, now I'm suddenly spending all my Friday nights sitting in doing nothing and we're always like find a hobby like pick up something yeah. new like do something that's going to better yourself but you see you're not doing nothing just by sitting in on a Friday night like you're you're learning to be alone yeah. with yourself mm. and that's really important yeah and if a lot of people really struggle in the aftermath of breakups because they don't like their own company yeah and they're yeah. kind of like oh god I don't have you know this person to kind of talk to about like loads of stuff and just do stuff with all the time it's like that's okay that's that's kind of normal like what do you do when they go away for a week how do you manage then like mm, yeah do you know what yeah. I mean like surely you have some capacity to manage it and if you don't then maybe it would be in your interest to maybe do a little bit of therapy do you think that's why people jump from relationship to relationship so often uh, we see it a lot don't we yeah like we'll see people being like okay I've broken up with someone like I'm straight the apps aren't working the dates aren't working what do I do and it's almost like desperate kind of in a way to get like to be with someone again yeah. straight away and we're like no chill so what like why would someone be like that they probably have an anxious attachment okay. um, and they probably kind of crave intimacy and emotional stability from somebody else that they can't give it to themselves do you know what I mean so for example if I feel a little bit insecure and a bit unsafe in myself and I feel a bit like oh god a bit vulnerable in the world and I meet Mary and we get on really well and Mary makes me feel safe and comfortable and loved then Mary goes well I only feel safe and comfortable and loved because of Mary yeah I haven't learned that skill myself so obviously Mary's going to become a much bigger person in my life and I'm going to need her so much more but then she leaves she takes that away from me yeah and I kind of think uh-oh where's Mary 2.0 do you know what I mean? how do I <laughs> yeah. how do I quickly fill that void rather than kind of go well actually do you know what maybe pump the brakes here maybe there's something happening yeah. in me mm. that I need to stop reaching out to others to kind of meet my emotional needs and that often kind of stems from from childhood as well I think another important thing you said there as well that would be good to come back to is the fact that when people are in a relationship and they disregard their friends so like one thing that I would have taken from what you said there as well is for people in a relationship to still make time for your friends because when that relationship ends, not sorry, not when, but <laughs> if that relationship ends, who your friends might be so upset that you gave them no room or you gave them no time that mm. they'll disregard you and they'll say, okay, well, you weren't here for me the last couple of months. You were just with your boyfriend so you can sit and be sad by yourself. That's worst case scenario. Hopefully mm. your friends are good enough that they yeah. oh, of wouldn't course. do that. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Well, I think it is like important definitely for people who are listening to this as well and kind of like oh I definitely haven't checked in with that friend maybe yeah. I should get in contact with them and yeah. just ask for a coffee or something absolutely and I think that you never know how grateful people can be for just reaching out for the smallest things especially mm. and they don't need to be sad but sometimes people just feel lonely and just yeah. for someone to go trying to grab a coffee as you said is a really nice gesture yeah um and I, I think it's you don't want to lose that personal side of yourself and you don't want to lose that social side of yourself and just develop all the partner side. It's like, well, you know, that's that's a normal stage in a relationship development where you're kind of like so head over heels that all you want to do is spend time with your partner. That's that's kind of normal, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But you also kind of need to go, well, actually, what are my mates doing this weekend? And am I spending any time with them or like going to the cinema or am I playing football or whatever people are doing? And um, so I, I kind of focus on that. And I know that the other question you asked me was, how do you break up with somebody? Yeah. Um, 
you just do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Rip off the band-aid kind of vibes. A, a, a little bit, I suppose, that most people don't break up with people because they're more worried about hurting that person's feelings than... And, and that's what motivates them to stay in the relationship. And I think that it's important that you kind of put yourself first a little bit because the longer you do that, the more dishonest you're being. And it's going to contribute to feelings of resentment because if I'm in a relationship and I want to end the relationship, but I can't, I'm going to be really frustrated with myself. I'm going, why am I here? Why am I doing this? I should yeah. be paying for this date really, when I know it's, it's, it's over. It's really worse. It is. Yeah. And I, 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 but the resentment is building because like, you know, if, if we go on a date and I know the relationship is ending, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll get the date. I'm going to waste some money. I know they're going to be together. <laughs> yeah. So you're kind of doing all this yeah. and like, oh, But then be, there's I, the guilt as yeah. well that yeah. you don't want to because you're like, mm. oh my God. Like I've definitely stayed in relationships long past their expiration date because I was just too afraid. Mm. I was too much of, I had a friend but as well. Too scared. Sorry. Yeah, too scared. <laughs> I had a friend as well and I remember her kind of I knew I knew for a little while that she wasn't really feeling her relationship anymore and I was kind of saying to her like, "Oh, like how how are things at you and him and blah blah blah." She was like, "Yeah, like I just like Christmas is coming up and then it's, you know, his birthday and then there's Valentine's Day, so I think I'm just going to push it out until February." And I was like, "Are you joking? Cuz you're actually upsetting him more because when I was seeing them together, I was like, she's not being the same to him and he's getting more upset with her mm. over little things now because he's like, oh, why, you know, why don't you want to cuddle watching this film? And she's not giving him an answer, but the answer was because she didn't want to be with him anymore. Yeah. Well, why was he tolerating that? Yeah, also, yeah. yeah. You know, so it does take two to tango and I suppose mm-hmm. that like when it comes to breaking up with people, people who are people pleasers, will never break up with anybody because they're going to be up to die before they defend anybody or risk oh risk letting people down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really, really hard and yeah. they're going to feel intense waves of anxiety when it mm-hmm. comes to do that. The, the, the trick is to try to manage your anxiety and remember like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's much kinder to do the right thing People will always respect you for it. They might not yeah. like you for doing the right thing, but they'll always respect you for it. Yeah. So always better to be honest and to do the right thing. That's like ghosting. Like that, ghosting, you're always better to be honest yeah, and, and just, just say, do it and just say, oh, look, I'm not feeling that, this at the moment. That's if, actually a good segue yeah. as well, because we want to know why do people ghost or get ghosted? I think it's probably a little bit easier Sorry, to answer. Connell, you're like, I've studied, <laughs> I've studied eight years. I went to Trinity and I'm asking. And I'm talking about the icks and getting ghosted. Can we these, Sorry, short? these are the questions that people want to know. These are the real issues. <laughs> yeah. Time, yeah. Okay. And I, I actually have a post coming out tomorrow on my Instagram. Why yeah. do people get the ick? So uh, this is actually plug perfectly number, timed. Plug number two, it's cognitive underscore Connell, by the yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Like, share, comment. Um, <laughs> so so I, I suppose why do people ghost people is probably a little bit of an easier like if people get ghosted that's not necessarily because they've done something it's more the ghoster do you know what I mean because yeah. that's the person who's perpetrating the behaviour rather than the victim of it a lot of our people in our DMs blame themselves they're like why did he ghost me they're like, mm-hmm. did I do something wrong? Yeah. Was I not the right They're like, person? we had the most... So an example would be a girl would send in a message and be like, we had the most amazing three months. We were getting on so well. We would talk every single day. Everything was going perfectly. And then one day he just stopped replying and I'd send him another message. And I'm like, maybe he, did he get the ick off me or what happened? But he mm. has ghosted me anyway. But they blame themselves. Yeah. 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 In- inevitably when people are kind of, especially at a three month stage, I mean, that's kind of outrageous, but um, <laughs> I-, I suppose people tend to ghost people because they lack the confidence and they lack the respect. And to a certain extent, th- they lack 
any real sense of integrity or esteem that it's just a little bit easier, just avoiding people because they can't tolerate the feelings that it brings up that they have to let somebody down. And I think that it's something that everyone kind of does in their kind of like, you know, like teens and stuff like that. But as you kind of grow up, relationships kind of have to mean a lot more because you're at different stages of life and you kind of think, okay, well, where is this actually going? Do you know what I mean? Like there's a very different conversation you have when you're 24 than when you're 18 about Mm -hmm. the relationship. Do you know what I mean? Because you're kind of like, I'm 24 and I stay with you for like three, four years. Like I assume like we're going for the long haul here. Whereas at 19, you're not really having that conversation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I, I think that a lot of people really struggle because they just don't have the confidence to let people down. But what happens longer term is that there ends up being like if you if you're kind of on lots of dates and you're ghosting lots of people, you're kind of going out in social events and you're going to see some of these people because as you said earlier, Dublin's a small place yeah. Yeah. and it creates this kind of unnecessary anxiety because you're just like, oh, why didn't I just kind of say it to them? I didn't like them or why didn't I just say it like, oh, I don't want this. This isn't going to work out. Yeah. And, and you're kind of keeping your head down and be like, oh, Jesus, there's your one over there. Oh, Christ, why didn't I say this to her? Rather than kind of saying, listen, I really enjoyed the date. Um, I, I feel we kind of gone, but I just don't feel we kind of clicked on a certain level that I was looking for. It's nothing to do with you. It's that my expectations of relationships are X and you're kind of at a Y and I just feel that we'd be better off maybe seeing other people mm. like again people won't like you for sending that text but they'll respect you for it yeah yeah and so when you get ghosted it's usually nothing to do with you mm-hmm. do you know what i mean it's like that person has certain expectations and you're just not at their expectations do you know yeah. what i mean yeah and so but that's okay do you know what i mean because you'll meet somebody else and you'll way exceed their expectations so everybody's yeah. different so i try and kind of look at actually well what are the attributes that you do have that people would value and focus on them so if you're kind and you're loyal and you're supportive and you're loving and you're caring and you're encouraging to your partner and you meet someone and they ghost you, well, that's their loss. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like they've lost someone fantastic. Mm-hmm. So look at what you do have and, and don't look at looks or anything like that because that's, that's kind of irrelevant. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. what characteristics or virtues do you have that, you know, people would want in a partner? And if you don't have any of them, maybe you do need to look in the mirror maybe yeah yeah maybe there's a reason then that you are getting ghosted because you're an awful person or whatever you know what I mean (laughs) shout out to anyone who's been ghosted (laughs) so it's it's more more important that when you are ghosted look like well actually you know am I a good friend am I supportive am I kind am I loyal am I all of these things and you kind of make a list of what the positive attributes are about yourself and you kind of say well if someone's going to walk away from that that says a lot more about them than you yeah. Uh, and to help kind of shift the focus away from yourself onto them and say, they have enough issues that a grown man can't text me and say, listen, it's not working out and let's part ways. Yeah. That's what you and I always say as well. Whenever people ask us about getting ghosted, we're like, why would you want to be with someone who can't communicate their feelings to you? Yeah. Like, why are you, because people do get upset about it and I do get it because mm. obviously there's a little bit of ego in it too when someone's hasn't even told you, but just kind of left you in the dark and has basically said I don't want you you're obviously a little bit hurt from it and you're kind of like what's wrong with me what's wrong with me but we're like again I would never want to be with someone who can't just be honest with me yeah yeah and explain to me like listen this isn't working out so Mm -hmm. if anything I'm like you they've done you a favor by ghosting you Mm. because they're they're showing you now so early on usually it is early on yeah what they're going to be like in a relationship and how it's going to go well you see as well like they might be at a stage where they're not quite ready for a relationship Mm. And they might actually be really big fan of you and really, really like you, but they're just not ready to commit because they don't want to get their heart broken because they're not ready yeah. for it. And and that's another reason that people tend to go see, we're just going to go, oh, I'm getting too close to her. Mm-hmm. Might just bail, pull the cord I down. think I think ghosting as well, there's a lot of cases where it's just 
putting like a pause and like a break and some space on things because mm. that is people feel like oh we're getting a bit too far now we're kind of like five months into this I feel like you know she's definitely ready for a relationship I don't know if I'm at that stage yet I'm just going to put a pause and a break on this yeah. and then maybe I'll pick it up in a few months again mm. but that's not good enough like the girl shouldn't or whoever is getting ghosted I don't think should stand for that because like you said you should be with someone who's able to communicate that to you but yeah. some people and, set themselves up for failure as well because yeah. some people make <clears throat> a, a a lot of women and men as well to a certain extent make the relationship at the start very easy for the other person mm-hmm. and they're kind of like oh I don't have any serious conversations around commitment or anything like that because I don't want to scare them off and you kind of think well if you're scared off by the idea of commitment why are you seeing them yeah, yeah, yeah like, definitely. Why, why would you why would you have a kind of emotional or sexual or romantic relationship with someone who's afraid to commit to you like why would you give yourself to them in any kind of way yes. if that's where they're at do you think you can make someone commit to you though <laughs> like maybe they- <laughs> No. Do you mean like, like I can change it? No, I'm like I feel personally victimized right now. But I'm like, can you like, could you make someone? You could tie them up, I suppose. No, 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 no. Sorry, lock the car. How do I explain this? Because I'm I feel like attacked. Um, like, so like, could you? Um, how do I ask this question? Could you make some? Like, I don't necessarily. If someone, if I was seeing a guy and I was on the first date with him and he was like what are you hoping for out of this straight away? Like, I'm like, no, 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 that's not realistic on the first day. People aren't going to do that anyway. Yeah. But I like sometimes feel like I'm, I don't have issues with commitment as in like I, I'm loyal, Mm. but I, I, I have maybe issues with labels more so Mm. than commitment. But like, what does that um, mean? (laughs) So so I suppose like for, for everybody, the idea of relationships is going to be different across the board because we're all kind of mapping from previous experiences onto what we're looking for now. And so I think it's really important that if you're going on the dating scene to be very clear with yourself, what am I actually looking for? Am I looking for casual sex and kind of like a hookup every now and again, something that's kind of convenient and easy and it's like, we just meet up and, you know, whatever. Or am I looking for something that's actually a little bit more serious where there's a bit of an emotional connection and actually there's a bit of depth to the relationship outside of the physical stuff? Because if you're looking for the second one, then I don't see why you would technically shy away from the conversation around commitment because I think it's an important one to have. Mm. I think that if, if you just want a kind of casual experience, then obviously steer clear of that conversation because it's not relevant. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not going to talk about the train timetable if I'm getting the bus, you know? <laughs> so I think it's important to kind of be very clear on what you want and what your expectations are from a relationship. And I think that everybody knows what they want from a relationship. Very people know what they're actually bringing to it. Yeah. Like, what what are you bringing to the relationship? Do you know, well, I want him or her to have X, Y, and Z. Yeah. What about you? Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that, actually. Well, why would they want to be with you? Do you know what I mean? To kind of think about that a little bit more. Mm. Um, so basically here is just toxic. <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. It's just, it's just the, it's the, I think I just have like a fear of labels. It's like the. But labels make it real. Um, yeah. For a lot of people. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 that's it. <laughs> I'm like, I want it all to be fake. <laughs> I'm cured. Um, so, so like la- labels have the power to kind of make a relationship far more serious. Okay. And people often like have this change of feeling when a label is put on some people do so like if you're in a kind of reasonably casual early stage relationship and then someone says oh do you want to be my boyfriend or my girlfriend they kind of go oh that's a big change in the relationship because it's kind of sinking feeling and because they get the sinking feeling they kind of think oh that must not be a good thing rather than and that's kind of emotional reasoning so you don't feel good therefore you think it's not a good thing mm-hmm. yeah. whereas like well i don't know if it's a good or bad thing like what do you actually want so if you're with somebody and you say to yourself well actually do you know i i want casual relationship and they go well listen I want commitment I can see where you get a sinking feeling because the label isn't what you want 
Do you know what I mean? And do you walk away at that point? Well, it's entirely up to yourself. But like, so like if, you, if you're with, so if I'm seeing Robin and Robin comes to me on our fifth date. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. She's so cheating on me. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Robin comes to me on our fifth date and she's like, okay, we're... Where do you see this going? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm looking for a committed relationship here, and I'm, I really like Robin. Like, I want to get with Robin. I'm just like, oh shit! Like, I don't know about the commitment part. Mm, mm. But like, but I, but like, technically, I am committed to her. Like, I'm not interested yeah. in getting with anyone else by Robin. Well, just just because you're not interested in getting with someone else doesn't mean you're committed. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just feel like that would it. As an adult, then you'd have to say, okay, well, look, I'm not, I'm not personally looking for something committed. Give it to them. If that person still wants to go ahead, if I still wanted to go and still get with you, then that's my own self-sabotage then. <laughs> Do you know that kind of way? <laughs> yeah, fair. Mm. It's not sabotaging. You'd have a great time. <laughs> I, I suppose that it's, it's about being very clear on what you actually want from people. And oftentimes in the early stage of relationships, people are kind of caught up in lust more than love. And they're kind of like caught up in the, the high of the relationship because everything's new, everything's exciting. And it's like, that's great, fantastic. But but step back from that and ask yourself, well, actually, do I want something more serious here? And if you want something more serious and then you're kind of like, I'm not going to have this conversation with Kira. I'm going to just kind of see how it goes for the next few months, but I kind of want something serious. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that conversation. And now we're six months in and I'm kind of getting my hopes up and Kira kind of goes, no, I don't really want it in serious Well, why didn't I have this conversation three months ago? Yeah. yeah. And just say, listen, I don't want it in like... I'm not looking to get down on one knee and marry you straight away, but I actually feel this is kind of going somewhere. I find myself very attracted to you. I think that we, we're kind of compatible emotionally, psychologically. Yeah, I feel this yeah. is going places. Do you feel the same way? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Grand, I'm not going to ask for a label. So yeah. do you know what I mean? And then at that stage, I might kind of go, well, what do you think is the barrier to you and I connecting on those levels? Yeah. Like, where do you feel that I'm maybe not able to connect with you or that you're not able to connect with me? And what mm-hmm. could we do to improve yeah. the relationship? Yeah. That's a very difficult conversation to yeah. have. That's actually a really good question as well to end on because we're just running out of time now, but we had so many more questions. But another common question we always get is how you have the conversation of what are we with your partner? So even you give us have a, it, a role play it? of like a, <laughs> of a situation. It's a way, I feel like it's way easier said than done though. Like a lot yeah. of girls like, and guys anticipate it and you're like, oh my God, how do I bring this up? So give, give me us, a scenario and then I'll see. Okay, so I I know one girl was say they're kind of like, oh, we're you said three months was ridiculous. But a lot of girls would say, oh, you know, we've been together like four or five months or, you know, we've been together a little while. How do I have the conversation of what are we without scaring him away? And I think like you said there, like if you're having that conversation with someone that you feel like they're going to be scared Mm. of that conversation, then that's silly, Mm. isn't it? To, to an extent, but that might be more telling about your fear of rejection mm-hmm. rather than their openness to have the conversation. Yeah. So I, I think that it's it's worth kind of maybe having an open discussion with them without alcohol involved, because oftentimes that's a bit of a Definitely. recipe for disaster because people just yeah. make impulsive commitments and they wake up going, oh, no, I can't believe I'm going out <laughs> with her now or whatever, yeah. you know. So you have to be careful with that kind of stuff. And yeah. I suppose that like it's it's worth kind of just saying to them, listen, like, like how do you actually feel we're getting on? Like, do you mm. feel this is... And where would you, or, would you go like... Outside the bedroom, like outside of having drink, having this conversation, like both but like ju- having a cup of coffee kind of vibes. But just like, go, go yeah, cup of coffee or you're going for a little bit of food or a walk around in town and just be like, you know, like, how do you feel this is going? Like, do you feel it's going anywhere? And if they kind of go, um, not really sure. Well, I- I'm kind of 
the way I'm because someone has to lead the conversation. Yeah, so might say, yeah. Well, it, like, it is scary. It, it is because yeah. you risk rejection. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that. But it's okay because if they don't want to be with you, better to find out mm-hmm. um, than spend a year with them and then you know that's kind of the end of it. And yeah. So I'd be kind of inclined to say like, well, do you feel this is going anywhere? And if you don't, like, I'd rather you just kind of told me because mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I'm obviously developing feelings for you. I feel this could go somewhere. But if you don't feel like that, like I'd much rather you kind of just said to me that you wanted to keep it casual and that's, that's okay. Yeah. It's not like we don't have to end or we don't have to go forward or nothing has to change too much. I'm just looking for like a ballpark of where we're at okay. um, and just see what they say. And if they say, yeah. I want to keep it casual, but you really want a relationship. Well, then how long are you willing to wait for them to make that decision? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the difference. And stage of life is important as well. Like, I mean, yeah. there's a big difference between people having that conversation at 32, 34 than there is at 18. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what about people that give ultimatums? And I just add one more thing to Sorry, that. Is that yeah. To ask yourself, if you're dying to make the relationship official and dying to get it, like ask yourself, what is your, what is this person giving you that you're not giving yourself? Yeah, and to look mm-hmm. inward, and um, that it's that much of an urge to make it happen. Yeah. Um. Sorry, go on with, I interrupted you. What about people who get to that scenario and they're with someone, and the person is like, "No, listen, I'm I want to keep it casual," and then the other person's like, "Oh, well, I was actually looking for something a little bit more," and then they give an ultimatum. That's manipulative. It's manipulative. So I said that last week. <laughs> Didn't I say that last week on the podcast? I was like, "Give them an ultimatum." Did you? <laughs> no, I think I would. I think I said an ultimatum in your head. Have an yeah. ultimatum in your head where you're kind of like, if if this isn't going anywhere, you know, and I, I'm still not getting the vibes by, you know, that certain date. That's an ultimatum mm. in myself where I'm kind of like, okay, well, so, so yeah, I, like, I, I, I I think that that's a reasonable thing because you're kind of giving yourself a deadline, mm-hmm. um, and I think that it's important to have deadlines because it kind of keeps you honest. Do you know yeah, what I mean? And that yeah. like. You know, and so like for a lot of people in kind of longer term relationships, it's actually worth sitting down every kind of four months and just checking in like, do you feel this is going okay? Like, is there any problems? Is there anything that I'm doing? Or because I noticed mm-hmm. that you're chewing too loud and you're breathing too heavily, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or whatever it is, because like relationships are really, really hard. Like everyone has this kind of romantic view and it's um, Alain de Baton talks a lot about this. He's a British Swiss philosopher and talks about him. the idea. Yeah, he's excellent. Mm. And he talks a lot about like how our notion of love comes from the romantics. And it's kind of like, you know, that kind of era of poetry, kind of 17, 1800s and that. Mm-hmm. If you love me, you know what I'm thinking, right? Yeah. And it's really, really, really great way to think if you want to completely destroy a relationship, mm. <laughs> right? So the, the problem with it is that like, I don't know what you're thinking. Like just because you act in a certain way or you express something, I, I don't know. You need to communicate that yeah, to me. Yeah. And, and so like, I would look at what people's expectations are around relationships. And I think that giving an ultimatum is very difficult because if you're not ready to be with me and I really want to be with you, well, like who am I to put pressure on you? Like that's my anxiety forcing you to make that decision. It's Mm. not like you're not kind of freely making the decisions. You're kind of making it under duress. Yeah. But I think that like having a timeline and say, well, listen, if, you know, Kira's not sure by kind of, you know, January, which is, I don't know, whatever meant a month away, I might kind of say, do you know what? I might just check in with, with Kira then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like an but, invisible end date kind of yeah. thing. And exactly. if it's past that point, then you have to just yeah. walk away for yourself. Yeah. If, 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 for yourself. Yeah. If yeah. we have this conversation at six months and then we have, and then my deadline is six months later, like it's a year, you should be pretty sure if you want to be with me or not. Yeah, mm. definitely. And, and I think that like, ju- just that reminder on relationships, like they are hard and they require a serious amount of compromise and sacrifice. 
And there's going to be times where, you know, you're going to do things that you don't want to do and you have to make sacrifices personally to make the relationship work. And it's about trying to kind of that seesaw effect that when they come in, you pull out and you kind of, you're kind of always having some kind of balance between mm. the two. But it, it's not about tit for tat, like, oh, well, I dropped you to work yesterday, so maybe you should give me a lift today kind of thing. Yeah. It's yeah. like it will balance out in time and you have to believe in it to do that. Mm. Because this is the person that there's going to be morning breath. There's going to be like, you know, times that they're not feeling well and they're going to have irritable bowels. Or they're going to be getting sick or, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? They're, 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 and they're going Guilty. to need you, you know, or they might, they might, you know, injure themselves and they need help bathing or whatever. There's yeah, going to be lots yeah. of non-sexy, really, really hard parts to relationships. Mm-hmm. And like, you need to ask yourself, is that the person that's actually going to have my back? Yeah. Yeah. When it's time. And will I have theirs? Yeah. Like in the non-sexy, the kind of really crappy in inverted commas for people listening yeah. and the crappy parts of relationships are you going to have my back because if yeah. you don't I'm not going to waste time with you yeah, you want definitely. someone who's going to be very solid very resilient reasonably open but the thing is like just because people don't have those starting out they can develop them with the right people yes mm-hmm. but it's important to make sure you know what you're looking for and also if you expect it from somebody you better be able to deliver it yeah yeah. because yeah. um, there is a bit of a trade off there mm-hmm. sorry sorry just oh. lastly really quickly <laughs> So here's me like ending the podcast, Robin. Like, sorry, one more question while I have you here. I, ha- I have this friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, am I not this girl? Um, no. So this is just um, like a broad question. So I, I, from what I gather, I don't think you do ADHD. Um, no. So mm-hmm. there's very limited evidence to support CBT for use in neurodivergent disorders. Okay. So autism, ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, what ADHD does for a lot of people though is that they do suffer with a lot of anxiety and they mm-hmm. suffer with depression as a result of yes. having ADHD because they can't concentrate they can't finish they're kind of impulsive so they sabotage things mm-hmm. and they kind of you know have difficulty controlling that yeah. which causes a lot of anxiety and depression mm-hmm. CBT is very good at helping people to manage the anxiety or the depression associated yes. with ADHD okay. but there's no evidence that like if you attend CBT that your concentration is going to build up or anything like that yeah yeah and do you know where people can what wh- who should ADHD people look to for help is it uh, occupational therapists depends on what they want I mean if okay. so in in Ireland um ADHD is treated with um methylphenidate and dexamphetamine are two different drugs I can't remember the the trade names for them but they are they are used to help with the kind of the the brain stuff in inverted commas. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in order to get that, you need to get an official diagnosis. You Mm -hmm. need to go see a consultant psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not a psychotherapist or a psychologist, a consultant psychiatrist who's a Mm -hmm. medical doctor and they will prescribe the medications for you. Mm -hmm. If it's at a point where it's impacting your quality of life that extensively. If you're thinking about it, I'd act quickly and get yourself on the waiting list because there's usually a year to wait to be seen. But if you want help in terms of managing the anxiety or depression as a result of those things, Mm -hmm. then CBT or, you know, more so CBT would be very helpful for that. Okay. And you can get that through someone like myself, who's like, you know, a cognitive behavioral psychotherapist or a clinical psychologist. Um, Okay. And I've kind of uh, a psychologist working with me at the moment who's excellent at that as well. Okay, cool. Because I get a lot of questions on my own Hmm. Instagram because I I have ADHD and I got diagnosed 21 Mm -hmm. and a lot of girls, I mentioned it on the podcast before and I find there's not a lot out there for uh, like adults with ADHD to know where to go to. Hmm. So that's good for them to know to look for a psychologist 
co-therapist. If they want pure ADHD intervention with medication, mm-hmm. psychiatrist, if they want help with the psychological secondary piece, mm-hmm. so like the depression, the anxiety or whatever the stress is a result of it, yeah. then kind of CBT would be the kind of place that I'd be kind of encouraging people to go. Because a lot, I would get a lot of texts of girls being like, oh, like I want, you know, to go to someone. I want to talk about it. I want to, you know, understand myself, but I don't want to be medicated yet because I'm only Mm. in the early stages. So I, and I'm kind of like, I don't know what to say to you right now. The first thing I did was just go to ADHDireland.ie and call them and get so much information there and Mm. they were able to kind of guide me. So that would be my advice. But I was just wondering if you had any advice also. So, So I suppose as well, a lot of people might think that they have symptoms of ADHD because they're kind of diagnosis through tic, to oh my god TikTok, TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got there in the yeah, end yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, TikTok or Instagram and they go oh my god I have those symptoms but a lot of the symptoms like poor concentration and like other symptoms like restlessness and stuff mm-hmm. that can be anxiety symptoms for a lot of okay. people mm-hmm. and so what is worth kind of working out to yourself is like, is this actually anxiety or is this ADHD? Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of need a specialist to kind of look at that and kind of make that decision for you. Okay. Um, like just because you're kind of not finishing tasks and you're a little bit restless yeah. doesn't mean you've ADHD. You yeah. could just be highly anxious and you can't apply yourself, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean, as a result of it. So yeah. Yeah. Cause um, there's so there, we get so many DMs of ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. Loads. Since you've been diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I didn't realize that it would have mm-hmm. been so high in girls our age yeah mm. and it is mainly yeah. girls because it's very mm. I know it's very common in younger boys, boys. Yeah. Um, yeah so I was really surprised to hear that but it could be mm. that maybe people are getting it mistaken for anxiety possibly if they're not properly diagnosed with it yes mm-hmm. and I think there's a difference between getting a formal diagnosis yeah definitely versus not and like so a lot of clients that I would treat in the private practice would have ADHD coexisting with anxiety and depression or something else do you yeah. know what I mean yeah. so it's it's about trying to work out for them which actually is it. Mm-hmm. Um, but me- medications can be great for ADHD for people, yeah. but they are, um, you know, obviously they come with their risks, but mm-hmm. people need to speak to their doctors about that. Yeah. Okay. Connell, we're going to finish off there. I just would like to finish this podcast by saying, RT, if you're looking for two hosts for the Late Late Toy, toy Show, for the Late Late <laughs> Show, uh, you found two. That was so brilliant. Two? We were so professional there. Yeah. Oh, me and you. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. Actually, sorry, sorry. Never mind. Just <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Ryan told we, me who. That was Connell. our most professional podcast yeah, episode, that was, I that think. That was really good. And it was so, thank you so, so much for all of. that yeah, information. I think it's going to be really beneficial for all of our listeners. Definitely. Definitely. Because um, we actually. It helped me. I we, was like, wow. Well, Kara have obviously me and you have been like oh yeah like this is this and this is this but we haven't actually gotten down to the reason of it mm. so it was great to hear the reasons thank mm. you so much you're most welcome and if I could do one more kind of shameless plug yeah. is um, I, I'm, I'm kind of conscious that a lot of people are kind of like humming and hawing around therapy and doing it should they do it or not and I know that a lot of people who are kind of facing problems tend to go to their GP and the option is either medication or therapy and a lot of people are not in the position to afford that uh, one thing that I'm working on with a company called Therapy Academy is an online skills-based training course to kind of learn CBT techniques at a reduced rate. So it's kind of like a seminar. Um, and so it's like how to manage difficult thoughts, how to regulate emotions, how to identify the CBT cycle. And so we'll be rolling that out kind of close to October. Um, Amazing. 
and it, it'll, yeah. be, it'll be done over it'll be done over two evenings. So mm-hmm. there'll be one for anxiety and there'll be one for depression, uh, but it'll be done over two evenings and people learn skills. They're given resources to kind of practice in between sessions and thereafter. And for a lot of people who are kind of like, well, oh, should I go to therapy? That can be the difference between not actually needing an inverted commas to yeah. go to therapy mm-hmm. and just learning the skills early enough. Um, and so like uh, cbtsolutions.ie is my website uh, and that will be posted on that at some point with a link to Therapy Academy and stuff. Um, and it'll be about... I'd say about 60 euro for the two sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, so with plenty of resources and information and videos and stuff available. Amazing. So. Brilliant. And we'll, obviously, up. <laughs> we'll, we'll link everything, all yeah. your socials and stuff like that down below in the description box as well. But Connell, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, we didn't get through all the questions, so we definitely love to have you back on for a future episode if you would be up for that. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure all Amazing. the girls will be happy to hear that because yeah. there is so much we didn't even touch on. I know. We skipped over some. I was like, let me try to get all the good ones in. But yeah. there's so many there's more. so many girl problems. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're fucked. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks a million.